Welcome to the Buried Dreams Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Morris. This episode, we have Justin Case, a film director in Dallas, Texas. He focuses on themes surrounding love and heartbreak, and most of his work is centered on process. Justin's creative extent is seen in film, photo, exhibit art, and creative direction. Enjoy. All right. So I was reading over your bio. You have some really interesting stuff in there. Yeah, I just I had to actually kind of give me a good opportunity because I needed to make an EPK anyway. So mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, I, I need to like actually write an artist bio for myself. What is an EPK? Electronic press kit. Okay. Yeah. I think my ex-partner was a DJ. So yeah. they did an EPK, I think. And it was like a three page document with pictures of them while they were talking about what they've done in the field. Yeah, it's like a, I wouldn't say like a creative thing because it's just for anyone that has like, like technically that's not an EPK, it's just bio, but yeah, it's for anyone that's like, does anything to do with press. It has to, it's like a resume for pressing. So it has like bio, photos, usually analytics or statistics about like their social and social like media stuff. And then that's what a natural EPK is. What kind of stuff are you pressing? So like. What do you need to press for? Like my work. Definitely. To get jobs? Not necessarily, but like I've done, I've had like press stuff done like through Kodak. I had a Kodak interview and a press done mm-hmm. um, for a project. So I had, I was supposed to send them an EPK, but I didn't. So. Okay. That makes sense. So it's for people who are going to promote you or, you know, do news articles about you. Yeah, pretty much. What kind of news articles have been made about you? Not many. Not many. Very, <laughs> very limited. I'm kind of jealous. No, I, I want to start getting more active into it because... My partner is does writing um, and so on and so forth. And so she works in that field. But she's like when she wanted press for certain things, she would actually like send an EPK plus a write up for what she's trying to get pressed for to certain like publications. So like either like D Magazine and local or like things that are more like Texas based or more. So she's been like Texas Monthly. Mm-hmm. But she sent them like an EPK plus like, hey, this is what I'm doing. and I'm trying to get pressed for this. Mm-hmm. or like awareness of this so like oh so you would send it out to people it's funny that you're saying this because on my ride home from work today i was thinking about like what if like an artist is not being reached out to by news sources or places to promote yourself can you just send in your epk and your information and what you've done and ask for promotion yeah yeah you should be doing that yeah i was d- like i should be doing it but you should like a lot of people don't i think one of the biggest things is like, well, I guess we'll talk about today is just like process and how you earn more clients and like shit like that with your work and stuff. And mm-hmm. a big thing about that is like, you can't expect people just to fall upon your work or your, your page and who you are. You need to kind of like also give people the chance to find who you are, which how, is like promoting that. Yeah. How much emphasis do you put on your social media? Not as much as I probably should. I do work with like digital marketing. So like I'm, really good friends with the digital marketing people. A lot of my work is like not the creative side of things, but the more the things that I work with companies specifically for is like the creative plus the creative marketing. But a lot of that comes down to controlling, you know, how like for me, a big emphasis on that is like controlling how my work is seen, like the presentation of it and like building that world. So promoting it and getting it promoted and like focusing on those things are really important. Social media is really important for that stuff. I just don't 
really focus on it too, too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's stressful, you know, and I guess what they say like on the internet is like the algorithms reward you for posting, spamming people essentially and doing the same shit all the time, which is something that I don't like a lot. So like for algorithms to work, they need to see patterns. And if you show them that you are making pottery and you're painting pottery and that's all you're posting, eventually it will get to the algorithm will know that you are painting and doing pottery and it will show it to all the people who are interested in painting and pottery. And then it'll spam people and, and then people will follow you. But it's like, I don't know. I don't really like the style of like when I go to those pages and they're just full of the same stuff. It's not aesthetic to me. Yeah, it's definitely a tough thing. So I've worked with people like building TikTok pages in specific and also looking at like Instagram pages and branding. And so TikTok is a tough one. You have to, it's weird because people are really uncomfortable with that mentality and process, which is a very rewarding mentality and process to have. You can be a very lucky few people who will just end up being rewarded by the algorithm without consistency. You know, those people that like post once every six months and then just like blows up mm-hmm. and that's just like random draw the trade. But consistency is a big thing. Exactly what you just said. I do agree. I think with certain social platforms for like for me with TikTok, like looking at the idea of TikTok, I don't think it's that big of a deal for me personally, just because I see TikTok as like since it's such a short landing page of content and such short content it's almost like every time something is posted anyways it's like you're reaching a new audience every single time and very rarely are you trying to like get people to come back to your page and then like just go through a whole bunch of stuff where i feel like instagram is a little bit more curated and produced so i think tiktok i really don't mind too too much instagram is one of those things i'm like i will not spam on that at all like i don't don't think like that to me is like almost a portfolio in a way mm-hmm. and I think it's become a portfolio for a lot of people oh yeah I absolutely agree it's like a portfolio and then the stories are more of like what you would post you know every day or something like that mm-hmm. so I find myself using stories way more and I'm just like I've had the same 12 pictures on my feed for like the last year <laughs> <laughs> but I mean the Barry dream that's my personal page the Barry dreams page you know I have to promote my guests and everything so it forces me to give a lot of attention to it but that in turn like I'm like less active I would say on my personal page I use it mostly as a communication tool gotcha, and gotcha. inspiration tool as well we haven't even officially started this podcast right start- I mean we just kind of get into it we're just getting into it yeah I was gonna ask you what is buried dreams and like what is this about for you specifically because I've never met someone that has like an active goal and dream in mind to like make a podcast essentially oh really no never never yeah i have been wanting to meet other people who do podcasts just to kind of you know talk about the problems that i have and see like you know like where we can meet but i feel kind of like on the spot here (laughs) (laughs) i did meet a guy jerry yeah and he is into interviewing and you did an interview with him yep and he's the really the first person I met that's also kind of into this kind of thing. Yeah. Just like interviewing in general and interviewing artists specifically. Yeah. But my whole thing with Barry Dreams is, I don't know, since I was 20, I've been listening to podcasts a lot. Yeah. And I always felt like I had trouble articulating myself and like I didn't have a voice. I, I was really struggling with self-expression and like talking about my emotions and whatever. 
and just getting my ideas and opinions across. So I thought it was something I could never do, but it's something that I had always wanted to do deep in my gut. And I think I had just ignored it. I think comedy is also another one of those things that I think I could never do, but maybe one day I'll, I'll do it. Acting or comedy. I really like that, like entertainment performance type thing. And I also think that it could transpire well into the podcast, but I read this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And essentially she just provokes what the inner desire is for, mm. you know, art and how to become an artist. And the thing that arose for me, you know, was like fashion. I love fashion, but podcasting just was so like deep inside of me. And there was a term in there, buried dreams, like what is your buried dreams? And it was that chapter that phrase had come up in. Yeah. And I realized like, this is my buried dream. And, you know, I've always had a strong attraction to artists just intellectually. And just, I love connecting with people and getting to know them on a, on a real deep level. So the podcast has kind of given me a chance to, you know, one, put myself out there, be uncomfortable and, you know, practice articulation. And, you know, I've come a long freaking way just from starting the podcast, but I have a, like a reason to invite artists to come to my house or just to meet with me for coffee, to get to know them better. And usually like after a two hour conversation, a genuine conversation, getting, getting to know one another, you build a friendship. Yeah. And I love seeing all the artists that I've interviewed out in the, the real world, running into them. I get invited to a lot of artist events now. Nice. And it's honestly a dream come true. I love it so much. And it's slowly but surely growing. And I have so much hopes for it. But yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, even if it's not successful, like the reward that I get from just making these relationships with people is the best thing of all. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's like a super like personal, deep inside you thing that you need to do for you. Like it's not for other people. I mean, it is, but it's not for other people specifically. It's for you. It is for me, yeah. like really deep down. I mean, of course, it's my baby and I love it so much. So it's like when you have a kid, you want everyone to think your kid is cute. But <laughs> I mean, it's not always the case, but I hope that it is. And I know that like with time, I'm going to get better and better and Um, there's new ways to grow. And my favorite thing about the podcast is that it gives me a lot of freedom. So I can, I can like do creative direction with like photo shoots. So I can partner with some friends that do photography. I can come up with, you know, the moody, dreamy, buried dreams aesthetic and uh, come up with ideas within that framework and execute. It's so invigorating. Like, that creative process is so fulfilling. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it goes everywhere, really. Like social media, there's marketing. I now I have to get into videography to start video casting the, the podcast and yeah. I'm going to start vlogging. So it's just like learning all that stuff. I mean, it's just like there's so much freedom within like the Berry Dreams brand. Yeah. You're taking it by storm. Yeah, dude. It's in like what? Seven months, seven, eight months. Yeah, you're taking it by storm. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a passion project for sure. That's awesome. No, that's amazing. That's and what so about cool. you? So you're a film director. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the title. <laughs> a film director. That's what you told me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's what I tell myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start directing films? Yeah, I don't even know if I have yet. I started 
because I wanted to be a YouTuber. <laughs> I don't think that's weird. It's I don't think it's weird either. I, I also have a lot of shame attached to becoming a YouTuber because I'm going to be launching on YouTube soon. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I like, feel weird about it, but hey, let's not have shame. No, it's I, I wanted to start off of that. It was like for me, it's just like creating. I was like really interested in just creation and just creating things and creating videos. And YouTube was the, the living space for that. So it started in that. And then, yeah, I don't know. I just like grew into creating more i feel like a big thing in like film world is like everyone starts off with like i was five and i had a camera and i started making things that was not me by any means but i always had like a super vivid imagination and i was like very storytelling based and um so for me like i wanted to make content and then it went into like content creation and then it like slowly turned into like exploring different realms of video stuff and then how old were you maybe like 13 14 13 or 14 i mean that's young yeah i yeah for sure like i I definitely am i didn't just like pick this up last year but yeah i know it's it started in that realm and then i really didn't seriously get into wanting to be like an actual director until i was like a senior in high school for sure that's when it was like man maybe i should do this like video thing for real and um then it took a couple years to like dive through the whole videography world and stuff and I was like doing a lot of one-man band things which is very what are one-man bands so like in a production you have all these different roles and a one-man band is just like someone that does majority of those roles if not all which is a very common thing like the video world for people that are not like doing larger production work and I started in that world of not doing larger production world work like I was working with great clients but I wasn't doing like you know 30 person crews and you were doing it all by yourself yeah yeah that's a lot of work it is a lot of work but it's very common for a lot of like videographers we're just I think in media in general starting out like with the podcast having to do all the setup the content curation guest finding social media all that it's a lot of work. yeah that's probably why others super large podcasts have like actual teams yeah they got teams but i mean for production it's way bigger it can get i mean it can get tremendously large and that's kind of how like video works you know what i mean you can really do things by yourself but you can also do it with a large crew and i mean it's whatever is most comfortable for you like but it kind of depends on where your world is so like for me at the time that i was doing video work i wasn't really calling myself a director it was more just like i wanted to do video and at that time, I could sustain doing one-man band things. You know, I could shoot everything. I could edit everything and things like that. But I love collaboration, for one. And I love working with people. I love being around people. And it is like, super important to me to bring people into the creative process. And that's, like, really interesting to me. So I slowly had, like, a resentment toward doing everything by myself. I hated being by myself. So that turned into me being, like, maybe I should start trying to do bigger things and I want to do that and that's when I started calling myself a director and like making sure that people reference me as a director instead of being like a videographer because like the association is very different like yeah when I was a videographer people would hit me up for weddings you know what I mean ever since I've like made it pretty strict and known that I'm not a videographer I'm a director that dick on the table pretty much (laughs) no one has ever asked me to do a wedding since you know that's amazing so it's like definitely association and then I started working with like larger crews and bringing more people in. And then now I'm here. So I've heard from some photographers and videographers that, you know, weddings and, you know, graduation pictures or just whatever it may be 
is where you can get consistent money. And with editorial work, it's more inconsistent and more difficult to find work. What is your thought on that? Yeah, it depends, right? Like doing the work that I do, which is very specific to me and my storytelling process. Also the fact that I shoot on film and I'm very like not picky to say, but I'm very much about my process. And that's a very important thing. It's like an important foundational basic of my work. What is your process? To put it into terms, I don't really know, but it is something that I have like worked really hard to sustain about like being happy and doing what I'm doing, only doing things that are really interesting to me, stuff that I can like showcase not only my passion, but my love for my craft and my like interest in working with people and bringing people in. That is definitely a part of my craft. And then, you know, shooting on film is a huge thing for me, which is like a really important thing for me right now. Not to say that I would not always shoot on film, but I think for me right now, it makes the most sense. And it's the thing that I'm really interested in. So like, I always tell people that like ask me about advice, all my friends that are like, maybe not as far in their career, because I'm not that far in my career at all. But like, there's definitely people that are like, not as far as I am. And a lot of my friends that are in that way have asked me like, okay, well, how do I do this? How do I do this? And I was to tell them, I'm like, I'm not probably the best example of giving you the right information because I totally took a very unconventional, very quote unquote wrong path in a career that doesn't really have stepping stones. I like really did not do the thing that I was supposed to do, which is like either growing from like a smaller ratio of being like some small subset on set, like being a PA or something like that and surrounding myself with sets and then growing through it. I like just dove right in. And then also like from the start was like, nah, this is what I'm going to do. And so like when I went full-time freelance, like I had like maybe one or two clients, but I had like only things that I was interested in and I didn't take anything else. So like I was really diving into the deep end being like, okay, I'm going to sustain my life and career. Hopefully people hire me because I'm not going to do anything else. Like I'm sure I'll do like one-off little jobs that have nothing to do with directing for like shits and giggles, but I will never put my name on something that's like not what I am. And that's really hard to do. Like very difficult. Well, yeah, you have to survive. Very much so. How did you survive? Were you just like, do you think it was luck or do you you feel like, I feel like you have some sort of confidence and certainty in yourself. And when you exude that energy mm-hmm. to people, that certainty about yourself, that confidence in yourself, people think you got it all together. I mean, you can fool anyone. Really, yeah. people... Uh, I read this book by Malcolm Gladwell and it's been years since I read it, but I think it was like, people don't know that you're lying. If you tell people a bold face lie and you have the bold face, people are likely to believe you. You're more likely to trust people. So if you go in there with that full confidence and that bold face on and you're not taking anything less, people will, you know, believe that. Yeah, it's definitely, man, there's a lot to say on this topic. First two things is, yeah, I think the two ways that you can sustain a career is be a salesperson or let your work talk for you. And so if you can't let your work talk for you because you're either not at the stage yet or not enough people are seeing your work, you're a salesperson. So for me, that was like, I was selling. I was constantly talking to people and networking. 
and it is that like another big thing is like how can you grow in this career so like money and financial stability not only for the personal creator but for the client that's hiring you is a very big deal like right there always has to be some sense of like roi someone has to return something and Mm -hmm. so a client you know if you're doing a ten thousand dollar video and you want to do a thirty thousand dollar video next how do you get a thirty thousand dollar video well a lot of times clients are it's like that age-old like fucking meme that everyone has it's like a job that's on, you know, asking for experience in the job, but it's like, how do I get the experience until I get the job? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly how budgets work with clients. It's like, how can I trust you with a $30,000 budget if you've never worked with one? So then how do you like get past that is you build trust. Like that's the biggest thing is you build trust and to build trust, you have to like showcase in your process of filmmaking or your creativity or your artist like process that they can trust that. So like you can go, it's the little details like I can trust you with money because of this, or I can trust you with the team because I saw this, or I can trust you with this process because you did, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so like it all comes off the basis of trust. But yeah, it's just like really important that you sustain what I think the most important thing is showcases 10 million times more than just your work is your process. Like I think anything that you create, people can kind of like see through it from just like face value and say like okay well I I feel like something in my gut about this like it feels good or it felt like someone really thought about this or like put a lot of love or creation into this and you can feel that and for me that was like the most important thing is like everything I stepped into I needed to like felt the love and creation for it and if I didn't okay depending on like where I'm at with the project you know like I would either push through it or be like no this is just not going to work anymore so for me, I think that like that spoke volumes. That's how I consistently got more clients was because I had a lot of... This is a burp mic, by the way. A burp mic? Yeah, you just burp right in it if you got to. God. <laughs> Don't it's, be shy. It's one of those things where it's like I got a lot of work because of like grassrooting, networking, because people talk to other people for me. But a lot of that came from like, hey, I loved working with this person or I loved what I was able to do with this person. So that was a big thing. But yeah, those two things are really sustaining, like something that you have to sustain is constant like passion and process. And that speaks volumes. That's how you get more work. And then the biggest thing I was going to say on this was something I actually was just talking to my best friend about. So, you know, like when you live in like survival mode, which is what freelance is, you're surviving. It's really hard sometimes because you're constantly chasing but I think the, the most important things in life is you need to have this balance between chasing and listening. Like my best friend, Julian, like you just said, do you think it was just luck? He was like, well, you're always just so lucky. You find other opportunities so luckily. And I think, sure, yeah, there's probably a bit of luck into it. But I think what it really is, is that subconsciously, I realize this about myself with him, is that I think that there's moments in which, uh, yeah, I'm constantly chasing. I want more. I want to like achieve more. I want to do more. I want to you know, make better stuff. But there's moments where like I will sit in pockets and listen to opportunities. I'll listen to what other people are saying or listen to like what my gut's trying to tell me about certain things. And then I'll follow those paths and then it'll lead me to another job. So mm-hmm. like if I'm like, hey, like right now I got back from my tour, which is how we met was like right before my tour. And right now I took a break. Like I'm in the middle of a breaking process. And that break led me to like a side gig that's giving me really good money and can like, I only have to work four days a month pretty much to earn rent plus, And I'm able to like have a break and recoup before I get into my next like bigger stuff again. And so it was like that, that came from me being like, no, I need to take a break. Like, yeah, I don't have next month's rent hundred percent covered, but I need to take a break. So like, let's just take a, a second 
and like listen and see what's around me and see where everything is going and amidst the chaos of like life and all the stuff that's been happening. It's like, yeah, I just need to listen a little bit. And it led me to another opportunity. I mean, you're living by the sword on one aspect because when you don't have that steady income telling you where your next month's rent is coming from, that's kind of scary and whimsical. And then... Whimsical. <laughs> yeah, it's very whimsical. That's a very it? like optimistic way to say about it. It's very scary. It's scary. I mean, it's two things. It's like it puts lights of fire under your butt a bit because, sure. you know, you know, you got to keep moving forward and you have that like accountability factor. But I feel like a lot of people don't handle uncertainty well. Oh, yeah. And it seems like you are very comfortable in your uncertainty and very certain <laughs> about the universe giving you what you need. Yeah, it's definitely led me down some certain paths, um, for sure. Some really hard paths. But there is something that I'm very certain is my capability and my love in which I have for my capability and that I know I can breathe into existence what I want with my life. And I felt that way for a very long time. So I've never had any uncertainty in my career. I've only had uncertainty in moments of like certain aspects of life, uh, which I think is a really common thing for people. But yeah, I'm definitely not to say that I'm very comfortable in uncomfortableness, but I am very comfortable under pressure. And yeah, I always kind of end up finding a way to like figuring something out. That is something that I'm like always... You always figure it out, you know? Yeah. I think most people will always figure it out. Like if something terrible happens in your life, like there's always something that will come to your life and you'll be like, wow, I'm really grateful that my life took that turn. Like always in the end, it's like you're grateful for whatever happens. There's like gratitude in bad things or yeah. things oh, that sure. feel bad in the moment. Or lessons, I think. Less I guess. Lessons, yeah, because lessons are uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Well, I think that's like one of the most important things that I've learned is as much as things suck, there's always something to learn from it. And I know that's like a really blanket statement because a lot of people say shit like that constantly. If you always hear like life coaches or like people that like are very close to you that are a lot more experienced in life, they go like, oh, there's always something to learn. But genuinely, if you have, you have to like have the ability to listen, which is not everyone has. And I may suck at listening to conversations from time to time, but I'm really good at listening to life and what like things are trying to tell me. So I think that's what actually has really helped me through the growing, like growing process of my career and also like finding more work or sustaining this career for, because I've been like freelance for maybe like a year and a half now year and a half you know what I mean and I've had like maybe like two really hard months in that year and a half everything else I've like been able to really really be comfortable and two really hard months is like yeah like I have enough for rent and that's it <laughs> and so <laughs> do you have a credit card I mean <laughs> yeah 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 I, all that stuff but like those are like my hard months and like I had to figure some stuff out around that but it was like I either like had learning lessons in those months where it's like I need to be a better, a better businessman to like the things like this doesn't happen again. Just like had it all set up, but then I just like didn't take it home essentially. So it was like never something that I was just like really didn't have anything figured out. I always have something, I guess, on the docket. Well, I also have this thought that, I mean, if there's a person and they had a perfect childhood, they had, you know, everything handed to them. They never had a worry in the world. How bland of a person is that? You know, I think when you struggle and you have and you face suffering growing up through your whole life and you're able to overcome it and learn something from it, that gives you depth and that depth gives you sense of humor. It gives you, you know, 
I don't know. It just it gives you empathy for others. It gives you, it makes you think and makes you develop opinions and, you know, have emotional and intellectual intelligence. It doesn't make sense, but yeah. I, so I hate suffering and I think we all as humans are avoiding suffering, but it's inevitable and there's so much beauty that comes from suffering. Agreed. Yeah. Very great. Yeah. No, hundred <laughs> percent. That's like something that like I'm interested in talking about always. I think it's something that I'm really keen on. And yeah, I think so. I absolutely. I think there's like the most fun in life too is not suffering, but learning either from the suffer like suffrages, suffer sufferingness. <laughs> uh, le- like learning from those those opportunities in life. But um yeah, just overcoming those things. Like it's so fun. Like I think that's just so interesting in life. Like, mm-hmm. It's like one of it those is. fun things. Do you read books ever? Yeah. Yeah, so I read a lot of books about like, well, some more Buddhist books that talk a lot about suffering and like what it all means and reactions to it. And That's awesome. I read like fiction books. Oh, that's fine. I'm all nonfiction, so. <laughs> I read like The Hobbit and stuff like that. You see, like I'll read fiction books, but they're just not interesting to me. Like I'll get through them or whatever. Everything okay? Yeah. I have my emergency bypass ringer on for like certain important people. So every time I, I get that ding, I'm like, all right, I need to check it real quick. Oh, that's smart. I don't have that on my phone. Do you have an iPhone? No, I have an, a Google Pixel. Google, please sponsor this podcast. They Thank probably you. would. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know how to do it on a Google phone, but on an iPhone, there's just like an emergency bypass you can do when your phone's like turned on silent and stuff. I have yeah. it for like my mom and stuff. Yeah, there's so many little gadgets are just little buttons that you can do and I'm just like oh I got other <laughs> important things on the to-do list I'm not gonna go through my settings I mean there could be something on my phone that I absolutely hate and it annoys me every day and I just won't even change it I just live with it yeah I just live with it that speaks a lot that speaks volume I have much more important things to do in my life than worry suffer. about my phone and suffer <laughs> <laughs> yeah my phone suffrage um I want to go back to when you said you take a break with your your work in between jobs. How important is that to your creative process? I don't know yet. We'll see because this is the first time. Oh. I'm a workaholic, but I'm in like a workaholic. So we'll get very deep here. Very deep. I have like maybe like a mild, let's say like a mild case. I don't even know if that exists really, but like, so I have Asperger's and my case of Asperger's is very like a keen and over intentness. So it's like putting all my eggs in one basket. So like when I'm intense about something, I'm intense, like work for, is my number one thing. Like I'm very intense about wanting to work and I'm really interested in it. And maybe that's also helped me with a lot of things in life. It's like a blessing and a curse. So this is the first time I've, I've actually like realistically took a, a break from trying too many things and of course I'm still working I have a lot of work that I'm doing on the mental side of things and also just like things I'm catching up on from the past couple of years and conversations that I've just needed to have with myself and other people but this is the first time I'm not just like immediately onto the next thing which is what I would consider a rest or a break so we'll see I think it's really important I do think that rest is one of the most important things you can have and again it's that same mentality of like listening like you just need to listen a little bit sometimes and I've had a really big problem with that for my life so yeah I would say that I also struggled with not listening I was just do 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 and 
Yeah, sometimes I wonder if I am on the spectrum because I'm very like motivated more than like people usually are. And I can get be like really lazy too, but like I get hyper extremely focused on also like perfectionism, almost like getting everything to be the most perfect that it can be. And if it's not perfect, it can really make my brain like spiral out of control. Yeah. So I, I don't remember where I was going with this, but. You think you have tism? Tism? Tism. I have tism. <laughs> That's what I call it. Were you tested for it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was literally like the first thing I got as soon as I came to the States. Was it like, you know, you have they do the questionnaire, right? I was like, I did the questionnaire at home. And then Yikes. I was like, <laughs> I was like right on it. No, just self-diagnosedism. Yeah, self-diagnosed. I don't have, I didn't get diagnosed by the doctor. Anyways, I think, you know, you can be diagnosed. And I also have this weirdness about me where I genuinely love people. Yeah. yeah. And like, sometimes I'm fucked up on my social cues. Because mm. like, I'll be like really genuine with people. Yeah, no, you seem fine. And then, yeah, but like, I feel like many people on that level of genuineness. Yeah, yeah. I can understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I think I have tism. I don't know. I I mean, I'm not worried about it. I mean, I just uh, I'm worried about it. You're worried. <laughs> you're worried about my tism. <laughs> no, I think that I'm just L at the end of the day, and I might have my quirkiness Put some and respect my, to that name. Yeah, I have some weird quirkiness, and yeah, it was especially apparent when I recorded my first vlog, and I was like, why didn't anyone tell me I was a fucking dork? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so weird I, I was like watching them back i was like oh, cringe. <laughs> i wanted to ask you if you have any like cringe worthy treasures on the internet oh for sure come on now hey, you started when you were 13 or 14 so i feel like there's a gold mine out it's there it's never stopped it's like <laughs> this morning i recorded a video to sweet escape by gwen stefani you recorded a what a video like a, a video? lip syncing video oh my gosh <laughs> did you post it on i almost did oh you should uh, have it's never stopped yeah like one of my first videos make sure you like subscribe and ring the notification bell for more content for more content for I, more lip syncing content to Gwen <laughs> Stefani I definitely have like really embarrassing things like on Facebook I have like me singing Baby by Justin Bieber and I have just tons of shit yeah absolutely I'm a, a fuck I'm a, a <laughs> I'm a crazy weird dude and not a, a weird way but I guess yeah like the same thing that you just said I have a lot of quirks and do stupid stuff you can't take yourself too seriously no absolutely not especially when in this career path there's a lot of serious ass people in this career people are really cool yeah yeah that's exactly how the coolness is just so strong sometimes for me i'm like oh i just it's just too cool in here i can't yeah i gotta go get me out get me out (laughs) get me out of here it's too cool get me out yeah it's like that or you have like super like my respect i have a lot of like Because like, yeah, directing is a big ego thing too. You have like people that are like very used to being in charge. So they have an ego. And then they also think they're like the next creative messiah. So there's an ego and you're constantly competing against other people. So there's an ego. And then when you move down from directing, there's like the people that you're working with. So people like Grips and Gaffs and Sparks and things like that. And then you work with a lot of older people. And so they have egos. And so everyone's super serious. And sometimes I'm just like... I don't know. Like usually my th- my go-to thing on sets now is like have a morning meeting or like starting meeting with people on set. I just like go ahead and tell them like, or like, yeah, last set that I was on, I had 
master degree students from Baylor at a set in Waco. And I had them as interns on my set. And they were older than me. And they're, Holy also, they're, shit, they're calling that's me like so amazing. They're calling me Mr. Case and stuff. And then I, I, as soon as they showed up, I'm eating it up. As soon as they showed up, I said, Hey, by the way, I knew you weren't expecting me to <laughs> walk the fuck in. You're calling me Mr. Case. I was like, I just want you to know, don't ever call me Mr. Case for one. Call me Justin. Call me Justin. And two, <laughs> we're going to have fun and like, we're going to enjoy it. And then, yeah, so like a big thing for me now too is like when we're setting up, I always like throw Sade on. It's like a big thing for me to play Sade while everyone's on set. Just What's like, that? You know who Sade is? Oh, Sade. Sorry. Yeah, I know Sade. Sade. Yeah. yeah. Throwing some kiss of life. And, yeah, dude, I love Sade. I'm yeah. always, I'm bumping to her on the, if it's like a nice day, it's like really cool, 75 degrees, I'm bumping some Sade and just very driving specific. to the city. That's very specific. Your tism is coming out. That's very yeah. specific. <laughs> you know, one thing I really like to look at when trees, like when the leaves are rustling. Yeah, yeah. I like can't. I like every time I see I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about grass. You know, like tall grass does Tall that. grass, do yeah. it. But there's something about the trees going like... Yeah. And you can just see that they're just so elegantly brushing against each other. And it's just the ultimate sign of presence for me. Yes, yeah, that's visual ASMR for you. Oh, oh my gosh. Tangle, it, it, even the, Even the sound of it, it's like... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the trees are telling you to shut the fuck up. <laughs> they indeed are. Yeah. So like every video I post, there's going to be a little clip of trees just <laughs> rushing. That's my, that's, you'll know it's from me. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. That's a, that should be your recording sign where it's like the first thing when it hits on. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> it plays throughout your entire house. <laughs> Very dreams <laughs> podcast is recording. <laughs> yeah, I love that idea. That so good. Yeah, everyone's too serious. So that's a big thing. And I'm like very keen on just like enjoying the process, making sure it's really enjoyable for people. Especially because like Dallas, like doing work in Dallas is very cor- corporate-y in a way. And I've done a lot of, I, I only do things that are just completely the fucking opposite of that. Mm-hmm. So when I bring people on sets, so it's about like trying to do the most like fun or belligerent shit. Like last year I dropped 40,000 blue pills out of the sky onto a car and that was a challenge but also just like every single person from a plane no from it was like from a big drone ladder thing 40,000 oh. yeah we just dropped them that's interesting what was the concept there or the context it was a music video for this artist and the song was called taste of blue adderall yeah i'm pretty much so oh no not adderall it was molly molly but yeah, the song was like about like drug addiction and I don't have any, I don't know anything about that. But what I do know is like the relationship of feeling like you have control over something that you don't have control over. So that's what I wrote about. And the video is about that concept. So I wanted to give like a surrealistic aspect to it. So we made the world about this car and this actor in the car and like feeling like He's getting over something and he's not. He's like stuck in this world. And then he finally gives in. And this is where all these like 40,000 blue pills rain out of the sky. Like they're coming from nowhere on top of this person. So that was what the concept was about. They get hurt? No, it was a... They were inside the car. Yeah, but the car was open. You know, like those empty gelatin capsules? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we use those. They're super squishy. Yeah, they're soft. Yeah, they don't hurt at all. Sometimes it's like you have the concept in your mind and then you have to execute and then 
once you look back at the footage, you can say like, oh, that turned out right or that turned out wrong. But I feel like with these pills, you only have one shot. Yeah, pretty much. And how did you make sure that it was a good shot? Prepping plan. That I mean, that was a really fucked set. So that like we were, I like did way too much in way too little time. I also did way too much with way too little money. So it was like an $80,000 concept easily with like two to three nights of recording that I did for $25,000 in one night. And something ended up breaking, which ended up spiraling the whole set off. So I had to like sacrifice a whole bunch of stuff. And so even that shot wasn't specifically the way that I wanted it to. So that, that project was like, I have a lot of grief with that project because it was like something that should have been, could have been something really great. It's still good, but isn't like the greatest thing it could be and what I was supposed to come out to. But yeah, you just prep plan. Hopefully your experience or the people that you surround yourself have enough experience to like get the things that you need to get to make it good. It's about failing. You know what I mean? Like you should fail sometimes and that's how you learn how to like cultivate a better process. Or what like, did you learn from this process in particular? Yeah. So like that was, this is another business thing, uh, which I will not talk to too much about because it's a lot and it is definitely private. So it was a business thing to make sure that I handled my business better. Second thing was, is like to understand more of like how long or quick things take. Right. So this was like a 30 person crew. You're recording in one night and it was like clockwork that needed to happen to make this happen the way it was supposed to. If I didn't want to go overtime, which we did because of the things that went wrong, that was out of anyone's hands, everyone's hands. It needed to work perfectly. I had like a, a five minute margin of error, which we went over by like four hours. So the first thing I realized is like with things like this, I'm going to stop shortcutting myself, which was a big thing. I'm like pretty good at like stretching things into smaller things. Terrible statement to say that with, but I'm really good at like stretching things to make it like make things happen within smaller means. And I did that for this, but this is where luck and I think skill has come into a lot because I've been able to skillfully do it and get it across and not come out with a lot of consequence. This is the first time that I came out with a lot of consequence and went wrong. The idea is when you are in control of a concept creatively and you have a lot of money on the line and you have everyone there and in liability to make something that's really good. You're the leader. Yeah. You have to like try to control that margin of risk to reward, right? Like you want to do things that are really risky to have a high, high reward. But you don't want to do something that is like so risky that if it goes south, it, you know, it just completely collapses. So this is one of those things I'm like, I do a lot of risk to reward things. And this is one of those things that like I, I bet like I paid the consequence, but I learned, you know, I can like manage that. You know, maybe I don't need a 30 person crew to do this. And maybe I can cut this crew down to 10 people and do it in two nights instead of one night. And that would have helped me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That would have solved a lot of issues. And I didn't need all these people if we would have just taken our time. You know, like things like that. Like you can yeah. kind of manage this stuff out. But this is like we're really good people that you surround yourself with, like really help solve these things for you. Like really good producers, really good executive producers, really good assistant directors and ADs and production coordinators and things like that. Like these are the people that can kind of help you like figure this out. And this is also something that like through the process of creating and constantly creating, but like constantly creating at a very high level for what I'm doing. It's like forced me to learn a lot of lessons that I think it would have taken me years to learn if I didn't do it the way that I did. So yeah, I learned a shit ton from this, that project. Absolutely. I always learn so much from fucking shit up and I hate that I fuck it up, but cause I have like a weird complex of like failure. Yeah. Um, it's something I think, you know, in the twenties you have to learn. 
you know, you get out of the parents' cocoon and, and yeah. Wait, how old are you? 20. I turned 27 on Sunday. Wow. Congrats. Thank you. That's amazing. Yeah. So you fly out of the bird's nest and maybe you fall down and drop to the ground and die or you fly and you... You fly. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I um had some close ones. Definitely. Nice. But the 20s have been like so... There's so much to learn and I know I'm still like just learning so much. Yeah, you're here. Yeah. You're always going to be learning. I'm always going to be learning and yeah... And you know what that means? That's like, you know, I think even learning is uncomfortable and learning brings suffering. I agree with that, but I also disagree. I guess it can go both ways, right? No, I disagree. I agree with what you said. I just, I disagree with not like being uncomfortable. I love it. I love the suffering of learning. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. It's so interesting to me. I mean, it's suffering though, but it's like you're kind of sadistic about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if you have tattoos. But like you kind of like love the pain in a way because it's, yeah. you get something in the, the end result of it. Yeah, I am a huge learner. I love to learn. I love school. I love going to college and grad school. And I kind of like picked this thing up from scratch. I knew nothing about recording shit. I just picked it up and here it is. I'm, I got like, I mean, branding. That was the whole thing to learn. Like I did, I did it in a weird way. Like I branded before I even started the podcast. Yeah, but it seems like most people just get started and kind of fill it out and then they kind of develop their brand from like what they learn and like how they feel. But I went right in there. I knew exactly what I wanted. I think that I'm also kind of like very sure of my thoughts and ideas and visions. And so I kind of just felt very, I like I knew like the vibe I wanted to portray. And I feel like I really, I'm really like capturing like what I want to capture or just show people sick yeah i love that <laughs> i love that a lot <laughs> so cool <laughs> so, cool. so <laughs> cool in here i gotta get out it's so cool in here. i gotta all leave. right thanks for listening guys <laughs> <I'm out>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that's so sick i love that that's awesome for you yeah just in general i think that's like a big thing that people should listen and to learn too like if you're listening and learning learn it learn it learn to like be just really interested in the things that you do also it's just gonna like triple the amount of immediate success that you see in things because and also i mean like success not in the, the conventional terms of success but like your personal line of success like how like fast things will grow or the things that you're like interested in or passionate about or like you like just the success in that you know what i mean it's a lot yeah. of internal happiness from that i one thing you said earlier it was like you always follow your gut and like what feels right to you in that moment. And I always did that too. So I always like, if I felt like I didn't know if it was going to work out or not, I just was like, I took a class and I was like, okay, you know, like I'm kind of sad that I'm not going to be taking any more classes like this. This is the only class I feel like this about. I think I'm going to take another class, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so then he took another class and it's like, oh shit, I really like that class again. So it's like, I'm going to change our major. And then it's like, it just takes you on a path and you just keep following like what you like inside and it'll, it'll lead you to wherever you need to go. You got to listen. You got to listen. You got to listen. So they say all hot girls have stomach problems. They follow their gut. That's why all hot girls have stomach problems. You got to listen. Listen to your gut. Are you a hot girl? <laughs> Are you a hot girl, Justin? In this context, yes. You know I like hot girls. Hot girls. <laughs> Gosh. 
Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's, you should always listen to your gut. There's always like a coin flip to that, but you know, long story short, you should listen to yourself and the things that you have intuition about and just be passionate about it. Just be super passionate about mm-hmm. the things that you like, especially when it comes to like the things that you're doing creatively. I've like realized, like, has anyone ever told you like, you're so different. Your creativeness is so different. Like you're, you're so different from other people when you do creative things. I think people say that about me socially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same context. Yeah. And I took, this is the Tism talk, is like, I took some super self-awareness about that. And I was like, what makes someone different when it comes to like their work and creativity? And it's like, I just like narrowed it down all the way to when someone's walking down the street with like a fucking crazy ass outfit on, just absolutely belligerent. You can tell the difference immediately between someone that's like, super comfortable wearing that like that's them and someone that's just doing something to either you know get something from it or like make themselves feel comfortable or whatever it is you Mm -hmm. tell the difference or fit in yes and that's what i realized is like poser poser that's (laughs) i realize is what makes like your creativity different is you can tell the difference between the people that are like actually just doing things that interest them. So if you like follow the path of like, oh, this is interesting. Like maybe this is not what I usually do, but this is really interesting to me. Like I'm really passionate about this. Like this is really cool. I'm gonna do it. Fuck it. Like those are the people that I think are really different in their creativity because they're just doing stuff that are interesting to them. You know what I mean? Fuck it. Like just be interested in it. And that's also what I think is gonna like warrant people's successful attention. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Wearing people's attention, absolutely. Just makes people be like, oh shit, that guy's too cool for me. I gotta leave the room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I definitely think, or what's your take on mystery? Like being mysterious as a person, as an artist, and how that can, you know, make people want to know more about you. You know how there's those artists out there that are super mysterious, but then they're so fucking popular because they're just (laughs) so unattainable mystery it's all those cool people in the room that make you have to leave you know it's just like i'm not cool enough for this place i'm not mysterious mystery mystery asmr yeah i don't i don't know i I think it comes down like personal preference like if you are want to be mysterious you can like if you're not really a person that's like open to being super open about things i think there's like a benefit to it right if you talk about like social and economically you can like benefit from being a mysterious person because people think it's like something they want to know more of but you have to like be believable when you do it. You know what I mean? Like if you're not really someone that's like too mysterious about their own things, I don't think you're going to really sell anyone on the idea that you want to be mysterious. But that's also why like the age of vlogging was so sick, right? Like everyone like started falling in love with vlogs because like you got so in depth with people. Mm-hmm. So it's like a coin flip. It's like the people that want to be mysterious can be mysterious and the people that want to be super open can be open. But you just have to be believable in it. You know what I mean? Like the people that are successful vlogging, are usually the people that are like want to show their life off and people are interested in that. Well, just like I like watching people and I also like to, people are like literally doing nothing. They could be like rolling around on the floor and then, you know, just like walking outside their front door and then just standing in the sun, walks back in, goes and brushes their hair. And I'm just sitting there like, uh, you know, I think it's like interesting though. People love to people watch. And I think it's evident on TikTok as well. Like people would just get on there and just watch people just, did you just fart? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Innoxiously loud car. Yeah. Sometimes there's like a a Camaro that'll run down my street, like really fast. Speaking of cool guys. Cool guys. (laughs) Gotta leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
I'm going on that game. Nope. Yeah, I agree. I think people watching is, is you know, really like a big thing. I also kind of enjoy it myself, to be fair. I used to like vlogs. I don't really watch that stuff anymore, but like I do like people watching and, and just and life, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like I've definitely added to my catalog of things to do during the day. It's just like be very observant around my surrounding areas and observe people. I do feel like something that I'm like really trying to get into is a lot more like writing and understanding concepts of other people. Because like something that I write a lot about is love. It's like a huge topic for me, massive topic for me, love, 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 love. And not always necessarily between the love relationship between two people, but like love relationship between a person and a thing or a family member, like a mother and a daughter or a father and a son that like social constructs and like that, those relationships, like it's a big thing for me is love, which is also, I guess you could say relationship, but something I've been like more cognizant or less cognizant about is like, I just want to be more observant to other people's situations because the biggest thing as a writer is, is I would never call myself a writer, but like, and someone that is writing something is to speak truthfully about something in some way, right? Like for me, writing that drug addiction thing is like, I don't know anything about fucking drug addiction at all, dog. Not at all. But I do know what it means to feel like you're in control of something that you really don't have any control over. And so like, I was like, I feel like that's a pretty similar situation here. And then I would talk to other people about it and be like, yo, you were addicted to addicted to drugs. So like, tell me if this is like a similar situation. And they'll be like, yeah, like to a certain degree. And I'm like, okay, cool. But this is something I can't speak about, but I want to be like observant and aware of other people's situations to be able to speak about it in my own context. Because a story is very rarely just about two people. There's always more external things that happen and stuff like that. So... Yeah, I've just been like very aware, like people watching a shit ton, listening to people and like seeing how they live their life, asking them questions and maybe I should start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's room for everyone. I don't want a podcast. Loser. Only cool people have podcasts. That's, I understand that. That's why I'm leaving. <laughs> no, I, I think it's really cool. But just like your phone, I don't have enough time in the day to deal with this problem so i wouldn't i would never start a podcast that way but i would love to you have to pick and choose what's important to you you know for sure i only have so much time in the day and sometimes i feel like i'm not doing enough you know i feel like my friend jerry he just is getting it all the time he's got a full-time job i'm like how do you do it bro like i feel like i can't keep up like you're literally coming out with interviews like three times a week i'm like doing one every like two weeks if that you know if like something doesn't come up and like it gets canceled or whatever so but it's my pace you know I think it's important to there's two things I kind of want to ask you about is like the competition and just like respecting your pace yeah so I think like some people love to be busy and and love that and I am I'm very busy but I have other things in my life and this is a passion product that I absolutely wish I could do more yeah but I need that like rest and relaxation time after work and because my job is very stressful and what do you do uh, data science nice yeah I work in commercial real estate but things are tough right now because we're about to head into the big conference of the year so it's high stress it really affects my emotions I can yeah Especially when, like, you're full-time. So, yeah, I feel like any time that you devote something to 40 hours, maybe plus a week, takes a big part of your mental. Yeah, it's really a lot, and I get burned out. Mm -hmm. Just because it's like, I don't have the freedom to choose, like, what I do every day. Like, if it was a... I'm trying to push for this at work where I want to, you know, be, like, free to 
you know, I'm really good at finding solutions to things. And there's a lot of processes and systems at our work that are, are not up to par. And I want to be able to like communicate with, you know, the different departments, solve the problems, make things super efficient. So the workflow just, you know, really is like maximum efficiency. We can work on things that are interesting to us. And um, I'm really trying to push hard for this, but I'm getting a lot of pushback. Like, I just feel like I need that in a career just to have that freedom. And I feel like being creative, having like a creative field like this, I'm able to, you know, book when I want to book and, you know, ask the questions I want to ask, do it where I want to do it. I can just have, I have full freedom and control over myself and like what I do and what I produce. So I, I'm pretty envious of the artist's life in that regard. But I do love the consistent paycheck. Yeah. I'm jealous of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a big thing for me too. And I like worked a job that was not what I'm doing now. I was always like, my mindset was always on like trying to bring the best foot forward to like efficiency and like bringing things together. Even if, even if in like in my position, I was working at like a super small level job. I was always like the person that was like, oh, I think I could do this better. And if we could do this this way and this way. And I was like, that's when I realized I was like, man, I'm really not cut out for working for other people in specific. Yes, Cause I'm I was not like, good at that. I like, for me, it's just like, I want to make everything as good as it can possibly be. And you'd think an employer would love that. But I think they, they would. Don't. I'm like so, <laughs> I know, like I said, I'm perfectionist. So I want it to be like super efficient. I like see the solutions yeah. in the invisible air. Like I see them. Yeah. Everyone keeps talking about the problems, talking, talking, like, listen, I can solve your problems. Just give me the resources, yeah. you know? And they're like, no. They're just like, this is too fast. This I'm like, too- it's been six months. <laughs> <Too fast. laughs> yeah. That's what they told me today. It was too fast. It's too fast. It's too, You're doing it too fast. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> it's not like you're so too funny. You're job. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I'm just getting tired, man. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know. The grass probably isn't always greener on the other side either. Yeah, but at least there's grass sometimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes new grass is better than old grass. <laughs> what do you mean? Your rocky backyard seems great. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just need to wear shoes. Hey, you always got to look at things in a different manner, I guess. Yeah, I'm trying to be positive and just try to get through the season because sometimes I like love it and then sometimes I like... I come home, my brain just feels mushed like, yeah, like banana pudding. So, yeah, I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to stick it out for a little while and figure it out. So you got this. I don't need to have all the answers. No, no, you don't. You're only about to be 27. I'm 27. I turned 27 last Sunday. Oh, 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 okay. Yes. Two days ago. You're only 27. I'm only 27. I'm freshly 27. That's crazy. Look at this nice house. Yeah, that is nuts. Pretty nuts. I did it. You did do it. That's actually, it's, it is really nuts. 27 and you're here. Yeah. And I guess now this ties me to my job even more because, and now I have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I kind of like the idea of like, you know, renting spaces out and then having that as your income to like be free to do what you want to do. You said you traveled a lot. Mm-hmm. How- you, you travel a lot. Oh, I mean, I travel for work and then I also grew up in Europe, so. Yeah, you grew up in Germany. hmm I love that. Thanks. I yeah. lived out there for a little while. Yeah, where? In Münster. Münster. Yes. And then uh, mostly in Portugal. Oh, I love Portugal. 
I lived there and I lived in Spain for a summertime. Wow. Patty. Do you speak Deutsch? No, I don't speak German. Ein bisschen? No. Do you speak anything else? Ich bin. Ich bin. Liebe. Liebe. No, no, I am love. I no. am love. No, I don't know. I said, what's the way to say? Meine Namen ist. Ich liebe dich. Ich liebe dich. Dich. Yeah. Ich liebe dich. <laughs> ich liebe dich, ja. You say, my ja. name is. My name is L. Yeah. That's how your name is. What is it? Meine. My name is. Name is L. My name is. Name is L. My name is L. Oh, my name is L. Yeah. That's okay, I can is. see the way it's spelled now. Yeah. I feel like. Oh, I'm like 66% German, so we're pretty much cousins. So I was going to make this comment earlier, but I don't know. You grew up here. Yeah. In the States. Mm -hmm. Is your parents like immigrants or did, is your parents' parents immigrants? No. Yeah. I mean, no. So maybe your pronunciations are very European. I think that has to do with living out there for a while. Gotcha. I mean, I was living there during the pandemic too. So there was like years where I didn't see an American. Ooh. I think in like two years, a two years time of the pandemic, I saw three Americans. Wow. And so I was very like isolated with people who didn't some, I mean, I was living in a house with Brazilians and only like a, two or three of them could speak English. So That's crazy. I was like teaching them English in the bedrooms and they were teaching me Portuguese, Portuguese. Yeah. Do you speak Portuguese? Um, survival, but it's been like a year and a half since then. So like, I would not put any money on me, okay? Do you speak any any other language? Survival Spanish. So I can understand Portuguese and Spanish. Like if someone's talking about their aunt and like their favorite color is blue and like, you know, they need to take the bus stop to this station and then, you know, take a ride at the supermarket and they need to pick up bananas on the way. Like I can understand that. But if someone starts talking about deep emotions and starts using like verbs, that I'm just not, I don't know the conjugations of, then I can get a little lost, but I understand context at that point. Like uh, I know true. people are talking about the president and then they're talking about how they hate this law. And yeah, then yeah. I just don't know what they're talking about. Specifics. Almost. Yeah. And then speed, also a factor. If people speak really fast or with really thick accents, it's like... So it kills you? I mean, it makes me feel like I don't know it. But then it's like if I just saw the words on a page, I could like... Yeah. I could like read newspapers, if that makes sense. Nice. Okay. Do you... I speak very terrible Italian. Do you think you can... If I, I spoke a phrase, do you think you can get it? Uh, maybe. Portuguese and Spanish and Italian are very sim like similar. Yeah, say so I had an Italian boyfriend for a little while. Wow. Yeah. Let me not bring up trauma, if anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> All the Italians just stay away from them. Cosio shakerto delivery arian cosole mi italiano e petusto brutto ma è bello. So only Italian something beautiful. Nah, bella is be bello. Uh, beautiful. Bello is bello? good. Especially, I, I don't speak Italian very well. Oh yeah, like. But uh, I'm trying to. Yeah. Yeah, that's the phrase. How are you learning on Babbel or something? Mm -mm. It sounds pretty good. I mean, you sound. It's okay. My dad lived in Italy for years and I learned some Italian from him and stuff. But oh, that's cool. He became fluent. No, I mean at the time he did. Yeah, he was mm -hmm. like survival, super survival. I wouldn't say like. I was not super survival. I was survival. He was maybe super survival. Okay, when he lived that's there. His next level. <laughs> yeah, it's super, it's survival, super survival, and then you become novice. Mega survival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, he uh, he spoke super survival Italian, so I don't know. I think like Spanish is super interesting and stuff like that, but like I don't know. I like ended up learning Italian, and it's just like probably a very useless language. Uh, not probably, it is a very useless language. Not to offend anyone, but where else am I going to speak fucking Italian? Mm. I think like French, it's, uh, Spanish, Portuguese, less. Um, French is hard as Chinese, Mandarin. French is super difficult. It's so hard. Yeah. I think it's so sexy though. I it's love a, a it's French a accent, language, yeah. especially when like they speak English with a French accent. <laughs> Oy vey. My, uh, I have a really good friend named Carl. I have a lot of really good friends in France actually, but my good friend Carl is actually here in New Orleans for the week shooting a documentary, and we were on the phone last night, and um, we were talking, and yeah, he's just that French. Mm. I said moolah to him, and he's like, Americans say moolah? <laughs> I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, like moolah, like money? Yeah. Yeah, I lived in a little beach town south of Lisbon for almost a year, and there was uh, so many French people living there, and so I got my full French experience, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. French is, yeah, um... I don't know, French is hard, especially if you're German. Like, I feel like I mean, there's a lot of Germans that do speak French, but it's like German and French, and we definitely have a lot more French influence. But if you're like super German, it's really difficult to speak French just because the R's are really different. Mm-hmm. And then it's the same with uh, English speakers. Yeah. Well, right? that's why like German, a lot of people, German people speak English really well. And yeah. One, because the fascination of English over there, anyways. But like, two, it's just English is a Germanic language, anyways. So, like, a lot of like the. Words are, are super similar in any anyways, like apple and apple and auto and car and yeah things like that. So I don't know if it's like my genetics or whatever, but I mean, I remember if I would look at like a piece of paper and it was like fully in Portuguese or Spanish, like it makes me feel like, oh, but then when I look at something in German, I feel like, hmm. It's not a distant. Yeah, and almost I feel like some calmness about like the German language. And I wonder if it's just something that's been passed down to me. But unlikely, but yeah. yeah. I, I feel like I get along real well in German culture. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, did you enjoy live there? I didn't live there for long. I mean, I think in total it was just like a couple months. So That's enough. Did you enjoy it though? It's. I mean, the only thing I don't enjoy is the weather. Yeah. And I mean, the food is pretty like meat and potatoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I think there's better food in, in the southern countries. Yeah. They have I mean, really good food. But in the colder countries in Europe, it's more hearty and like, you know, hot kind of stuff. But in, I feel like in Portugal, it's like, you know, you have grilled fish, you have like amijoas, pato de bouillon. I think that's how it's called. I forget. It's like clams in this like sauce. Oh, it's so good. It's like lemon and broth. Bringing it back. We're bringing it back. So delicious. And you're having a ratatouille moment. And then they have lingerang, which lingerang. is like razor clams. And then you have like a. I hate seafood. Marishko. I can't remember the name. It's like de lingerang. And it's so good. They Razor clams are like these long. They're like, they're very weird to look at because they're like this like fleshy, like long, you know, clam thing. And it, it looks like a penis kind of. And then you just slurp it right in and. And they're really squishy and soft, like, you know, clams and oysters. Mm. They kind of have that mix between oyster and, uh, like, uh, you know, the clam with the yellow, orange inside. Yeah. yeah, I don't like seafood, but I do. I'm picking up what you're putting down, for sure. Yeah, well, they also have, like, pork 
they have like pork with these french fries i was obsessed with the french fries in portugal i'm obsessed with european french fries in general i'm though. obsessed with european with mayo mayonnaise yeah yeah i always yeah. say it call it mayo here still because i hate the word mayo yeah i say mayonnaise you say mayonnaise mayonnaise i say mayo yeah mayonnaise with uh pomos frites yeah that's the, that's the shit it is the shit. I never thought about mayo with French fries until living in Europe. It's a super German combo. It's a common. We'll take pride in that. It's a combo from the gods. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone looks at you fucking weird when you eat it here. Yeah, they totally do. There's so many things that I learned that I like when I travel. Well, so what brought you to Europe for lengths of time? I applied for... I mean, everything was related to school, so uh, okay, okay, I was okay. really curious and wanted to travel, and so I would, you know, write essays and do scholarships and things like that, and it would pay for me to travel abroad. Beautiful. And so I was working out in Silicon Valley for like a year and a half, and I applied for this scholarship to go to Europe. It was in Portugal, Germany, Germany and Spain, sorry, my... I'm, I was sick recently, so my nose is stopped up. Um, I applied. I didn't think I would get it, and I got it. And I was like, they paid me to go there. It's amazing. And they pay me every month to live there and, and go to school. That's awesome. That's sick. It was really sick, dude. And it was a really good program, and I learned so much. And I cried so much because it was so hard. And Really? Yeah, it was so hard. I mean, I was like... I probably have talked about this before, but I was like one of seven candidates that applied mm -hmm. from the United States. And like the other countries are, I mean, they third world countries will apply to this program because it's for international relations uh, with the European Commission. And so the best students in the country will apply so they can come to Europe and, you know, help their family and give their family a better life, send money back to their country. And so, like, I was in a program with people who were, like, you know, top-notch students from their, their country. And I'm over here, like, this American one of seven, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and they, like, their mentalities were so different from mine. It was a really amazing learning experience. I mean, reality check, learning experience, growth, a growth adventure and everything. And I got one of my best friends out of it. She's from Sri Lanka. Should we live like total opposite lives, but we just like bonded together. We lived together for a lot of t a lot of time during the pandemic, and cook curry every night, oh. and went grocery shopping together, studied, and I love that. She's my wife. That's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. It was an amazing experience. I mean, I've lived with so many different types of people from different parts of the world, and worked with them, and I mean, that is such an experience. Yeah, it's yeah. super difficult because, you know, everyone has like a different way of doing it. But I think it's really good to shatter that mindset of like there's one way to do it because everyone does it in a different way and they all get it done. And so to learn that, you know, things can get done in different ways and there's always a way to figure something out, like there's always a solution. And I don't know, especially like with like, you know, data science and stuff like that, it's like. You might run into problems, but it's just, there's, I don't know. I think like through that whole experience, like I learned like a resourcefulness yeah, and like an adaptability and I stopped trying to be in control of everything and be more patient and just let the things come that come and 
it's like one of the things I'm most prideful about being that I grew up in Europe was was that experience. I think like that comes from people who travel and like get otherworldly experiences because there is so much culture and diversity out there. And that also like exactly what you said is so many ways to do things differently or so many ways to like be open-minded to life. And I think that came from being from not where I live currently. And I think that more people should be open to that. Specifically, even if it's like traveling outside your state, if you live in the United States, you know, just looking at how other people do different things differently can be really opening for yourself and allows you to, I think, genuinely actually become like a better person with a lot of things because you're just so more open-minded to other other ways of living in life. Mm-hmm. Openness, yep. like agreeableness, openness. Like it really challenged me a lot with, you know, especially religion because I grew up, my dad was a pastor and, you know, I was taught like Christianity is the only way. Yeah. And like meeting so many other people with different religions and it's like they were taught the same thing. You're wrong. Yeah. You know, it's like, I know I'm like kind of a universal religious person. I'm not really religious, more spiritual, but I love to learn about other people's religions. And like, if someone is Muslim and, and I'm having a conversation with them, like I have no intention to change them or convince them otherwise, or even with political decision, political opinions, like I don't even have a say anymore. Like I have my opinions and I'll state my point, but I won't get aggressive and I won't have a panic attack over someone else not believing the same way as I do, even if they have some crazy beliefs. Because if you, I was talking about this in the last podcast with Mike and he was saying, if you try to convince someone or try to change someone's mind, it makes people, even if they could change their mind that makes them feel strong in their opposition towards what you're saying so it's actually doing the opposite yeah, of what you want it to a lot more negative than positive yeah yeah and so what's your future plans are you told me you want to go to london yeah i want to move to london hopefully a year is the plan uh, when my lease is up i need to get to just a larger market of my career like i need to be in a, a place that can offer me more opportunity in a way and I don't like LA, so the other place to be is, I also want to go back to Europe, so there's a personal thing in that, and I have work in England and a lot of friends in Europe and stuff, And but the, yeah, like London is like basically your LA of Europe, and so it'll be a place for me to be able to like grow my work into a different, the next spot, the next realm. This is like the same reason why people move to LA, for like... You just get a lot of experience in it sometime, and you can kind of choose where you want to go after that. Pretty much. What is your buried dream? I read the the note, which is explaining what a buried dream is. I think buried dreams can be short term. It could be like, you know, I want to, my buried dream is to, you know, start vlogging. And so that's still something that's uncomfortable to you, something that's uncomfortable to you that makes you feel unease to think about. Like you don't feel like completely sure in it, but you know that's something that makes your gut rumble. Like this is something I want to do. I mean, it can be short term or long term. Yeah, that's tough. And I wish it wasn't so tough to like really consider what that would be. I think for me, it's just maybe like my buried dream is getting into long form of my work. I was like talking to Jerry about this, but a lot of my like uncomfortableness in my my work comes from my craft more than the actual things that I'm speaking about. It's because a lot of the things that I'm speaking about come from like very open books. Everything that I talk about is very comfortable to me, even if it's like a big, deep topic. It's very comfortable for me to talk about, but 
I do things that are very like short term, right? Like the videos that I make are like visualizers are short term. The the photo stuff that I do is short term. The gallery space that I did is like short term. It's a large idea, but it's not something that like there's a lot of smaller details and attention to detail in it, but there's nothing in there that's like, you know, an hour and 45 minute movie where every little detail is like put onto the cards. And I haven't yet to do that. I haven't challenged myself yet to do that because I'm trying to like challenge myself in the area that I'm already really uncomfortable in and find my uncomfortabilities in my area. But that comes from my craft. Like I'm uncomfortable with my craft in certain areas. Like, like I started shooting only on film. I was, I was comfortable with film, but not comfortable like that. And then I'm starting to get a lot more comfortable shooting film in that, that area. So it's like I find uncomfortability in my craft, but I really want to find uncomfortability with the topics that I speak about and get really deep about the little details and the things like that. So like I have this concept for a photo book that I'm working on, which is bringing directing to photography instead of just always doing video and stuff, which is like building out characters and doing like a portrait series with these characters, taking different models and completely transforming them into something different, but like a very believable, authentic character and providing a story for them and having like a before and after. So like I have someone and I'm doing like a before and after of like the Vietnam War with someone as a character for a portrait session. And I have someone, it's like the idea for it is like, not focused on the shooting style. It's like very similar, just a super easy, simple portrait on film. Are you saying caricature? No, like a character, like building a character. You're building a character and you're going to take film photos of the character and make a photo book from different characters. And making a story out of that. Each character is Mm. like someone that's different, authentic. And like the photography style is extremely simplified. Are you going to write a write along with that? Yeah. That's like write like, a story? A hundred percent. So like, like I said, I have someone that's like, the idea also with it is to like, as I'm working with like Brian on it and, and stuff like that, but it's like to completely transform someone. So like I want to take someone and then completely transform them into someone else that feels authentic. And so like my best friend Julian, who's a model, I'm doing him and we're doing like basically the, the books layout will be like basically like before and after or something of that cause and the before for julian is like like before like 60s 70s hippie and then the after is him basically like as a young adult coming back from the vietnam war and then i have someone that i really want to do like in the 80s i was just privy to this is something new to me but there's this thing called um, the clubhouse kids yeah in new york yep so clubhouse kids which is like early form of drag and i wanted to do someone that is like an 80s like suburban dad and then the after is they're a clubhouse kid like they're a closeted gay man you should do my father (laughs) (laughs) a while (laughs) i would love to see that honestly it would give you so much satisfaction Satisfaction. yeah so like i'm taking that and then building out a character like that and then i want to do like i'm like i'm a huge history buff and huge history nut so i want to take like realistic stories and then provide like authentic historical context so i want to do a model I want to do someone that's like a 1920s flapper and then do it on like social domestic abuse and have someone that's like before and after a shift of being a 1920s flapper and then like having them be domestically abused and being like that's the conversation that's the topic so then when I write a little article on this this is what I mean by like listening to other people's stories because I don't have any personal experience into this but I want to not only be authentic but speak truly and depict yeah something is like passionate as I can without, you know, being offensive or 
you know, l- like layman turns, like just be very surfaced with something that's like doesn't. Like, this yeah, is, you don't want to come off as like tone. Tone death. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be like correct in yeah. the things that I'm doing. And so, but I want to speak people's stories. And so like as a director, I was like, oh, this is like a really sick practice. It's something I can do like very in the background and just like try and bring other people's art forms into it like hair and makeup and styling and like just you know use my brain so like i've been i want to get deeper into longer form work that isn't quick satisfaction yeah and just focus on the little details and building out these worlds and for people to really dive into and allow them to like live in these spaces and as a director i think that's that's what my job is like that's what i want to do with my life so whether that's you know, uh, film directing, which I love. That's my number one. That's my baby. Film directing, whether it's film directing or photography directing, like creative directing, or if it's like the gallery space thing that I did, which is, again, creative directing. Can you say a little bit about what you did there? Yes. And then the last thing was just like working with brands, essentially like creative directing with brands and like building these worlds and authentic stories. I want like, that's what I'm really interested in. The gallery. So... ASMR break. The gallery space as the first time I've ever done like physical art. I actually invited Elle out to it. Uh, and I came and I saw. I saw. I went. I saw and I experienced. Yeah, I built this exhibit in three days, uh, which is not a flex, but I just had to put it out there. But it was story between uh, like I mixed photography and some story elements into it. But I built, I had a fridge and I placed it in the early 2000s, late 90s. And a lot of people say that like, you can tell who a person is based off their fridge. So I wanted to place it into a historical era that didn't have obviously all the digital technology that we have today because no one ever puts like physical things on the fridge anymore as much as people used to. And so I wanted to place it historically, which was very difficult to do in three days, but I love that challenge. It was like super charged my tism. So like I was like heavy into it. And Deadlines. Yes. Loved it. It was like amazing. Had no stress about it too, which is crazy. I just like felt so happy doing it. And I think that's really cool about you. Thank you. And so I made this fridge. I didn't make the fridge, but I had the fridge. I made the exhibit, the front face of the the fridge. I got the offer to do the gallery from a buddy of mine who's managing a gallery. I've never done that before, but he offered it to me. I told him, if if I'm going to do this, I'm not the type of person that's just going to put photos on the wall. I need to do something. He was like, look, I'll let you do whatever you want. It was like the golden words. So I was like, great. And I had this idea in my mind a couple of years ago based off of the inspiration of someone else who does things not like this, but more like captures moments and times as a physical art person. I wish I knew her name. It's the same person I forgot in Jerry's interview about it. She's amazing. I will find the name for this, but she's amazing. I found her off of TikTok and it was just like one brief thing that I saw and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I found the inspiration of trying to capture moments in time, world building. And I love this. It's like films, you world build, but like you kind of tell the audience where to like find things where this is like, I'm literally going to build a world and you as the audience member, I'm going to, I'm going to present it to you how I want to present it to you. But you as the audience member have the choice to like depict and decide where you want to dive into, which is really interesting. And I love that. So I made the face of this fridge what this person's life is, this character. And this, so the character was based off of a real friend named Sarah. The exhibit was called Goodbye from Dallas, I Love You, which is something that I had on my mind for a couple of years since I moved to Dallas. But it's a this character named Sarah. She's a lesbian. Ew. Ew. And she's a lesbian that lives in New York City. And she's dating this girl that's older than her that works at a firm. And her firm gave her the offer to move to Dallas. And so she moves to Dallas. 
There's a voicemail that plays Which would never it. happen in real life. No one would come to Dallas over New York City. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Absolutely. Many people do it. But yeah, so she, that's like the background character story. But if you just like walked up to the fridge and had no context of what the voicemail was, you could dive through every little detail. So I put like letters on there, authentically sourced and curated uh, bills, notes. I mean, everything to the T. Like this was just a real person's life. And then I had a photography session with Sarah and portrait you know, photographed her and put her on the fridge. Which came out amazing. She is a beautiful model. I mean, she looked, I mean, like it was, looks so professional to have done that so quickly. It looked like, thank you. I mean, it was really well put together. I I mean, and even with the, seeing the fridge, I didn't hear the voicemail, but I could gather. I was like, this kind of looks like, you know, it's like the essence of what was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wanted that. That was like my main goal when doing it was like, I just want authenticity and like to feel as if you were walking into someone's world. Like it needed to feel like you sucked up someone's fridge out of their apartment and just like placed it in the middle of this gallery. And that's what the goal was. So everything was as authentic as I could be. Like it was, that was my magnets growing up in the nineties. Those were some of my kinder egg toys from Germany. That kind, I turned into kinder. Mag- yeah. Yeah. And I had those and then I had like writings that I wrote and a couple of things that Sarah's girlfriend wrote for me that we worked on together and then the photography stuff and things like that. If you didn't listen to the voicemail, you should. I did listen. I heard it like 10 times. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So the voicemail just adds like a love context to it, but the fridge itself has its own world. And yeah, I just, um, that was the first time I ever did it. I'm going to do it again. I have another one that's going to come out in six weeks, which I'll tell you about actually, if you want to hear it. Yeah, I w- invite me to everything. I'll come to everything if I can. I'm your biggest fan. I'm your biggest fan, actually. Yes. The next exhibit I want to do, which is very ambitious, but I want to make a whole bedroom set. And then I'm going to write out a thing between a couple that is like, have you ever, I, I know you had this, the moment with your partner that you just have this like immediate flow session of conversation between each other it's like immediate attention to each other nothing in in between or distraction but this immediate flow conversation between you and your partner i see faces flickering in my brain boom 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 and yeah i want to copy that moment and i'm going to build this bedroom set and i'm going to project i'm going to find i already know how i'm going to do this but i'm going to basically i'm going to shoot this video of this conversation that i wrote between the two couples and then I'm going to project it and do some VFX and stuff like that. So when you stand up to the bed, it's going to look like the couple's in the bed, but projected. And you'll hear them having this conversation. And then you can look through the bedroom and everything will have its own details and everything to it. And like the wall, I have like wall art of like that I want to do like some photography stuff and like build out all these little details. And, you know, like exactly what the fridge was essentially. It was like, leave it all on the table. I have everything there. But... Yeah, everything's going to be real and then you're going to walk up and have this projection of this couple onto this bed and it's going to look like, obviously projected, but it's going to look as real as possible. You know what I mean? Like it's real to like this couple being on this bed, just having this conversation between each other and you're going to listen and be like, yeah. So that's my next gallery. I think that sounds really interesting. I'm excited to see it. I am excited to see it. I don't, I know how to do certain things and some things I'm going to very much learn how to do. Well, that's the thing. I think if you're not being, if you're being uncomfortable in your craft, I mean, that's when you do exciting things, says David Bowie. So, yes. And uh, 
this is going to be my last question. I kind of want to talk about your experience with Dallas and what you think about the art scene here and where the pitfalls are, uh, what's good about it and why you want to leave. Dallas is amazing. No, uh, nothing to take away from Dallas from that. Dallas is amazing. There's a lot of really talented, amazing artists here. The scene is not cultivated enough to stay in its own market here. And that's not to say that the jobs and opportunity are not here. There's an, a plethora of job and opportunity here for artists and creative work. And the scene is trying to like overcome some of the setbacks that I think that Dallas has come. And someone that's not from Dallas and has only lived here for two years, I think there is an actual very like great scene here. It really is. But the world of being a creative is also ruled by the world of which who you're creating for, if not for yourself as well. And I think that Dallas is very corporate and that can harm the chances of certain artistry here because you can get work for sure, especially in like film. There's a million jobs here, but especially music too. There's a lot of really talented music producers and a lot of really talented people here that are doing like the world's biggest work. You know what I mean? Not to lie. There's people here that work with some of the largest artists in the world. So there is opportunity here without, but the market itself is more ran through corporate. And I think that that's the one downfall of Dallas. Why I'm choosing to leave is because one, I miss Europe. I miss it too. Yeah, I do miss Europe. It's so tasteful. Very. And two, I'm not sold on leaving. I will say that. I'm not sold on, on leaving just yet. I am young and it works in both ways. I think I can stay, I can choose to move with the wind when I want to move with the wind. And um, I'm not sold on leaving just yet. I think I have a relationship that I'm trying to sustain and, and build and cultivate while I'm here with someone and also the friends and people that I am. My family is here. My immediate family is here in Texas. And so, but I'd like to move to London because I think the opportunity to grow to the next level is there. Not to say that Dallas doesn't have that chance to offer it, but at the speed at which I would maybe like to. And also you get a new experience, you get a new culture, new people, new baby pool. Like I think you can find new ways of doing things and I don't know, I think traveling is a little surprise. Every time. And I also think like for me, I'm not trying to build that here. Mm -hmm. Being very just blatant about it. I have no interest in as much as I'm a, a big community person and I love working with people and it's my favorite thing in the world to like have a sense of community. I'm, I'm just not. I have no interest in building that for Dallas. I have no interest. Like there's some artists like Brian is really interested in like bringing the area of hair industry where the editorialness is to a higher degree. And he wants to have like a sense of entitlement to that in a good way because his parents are here and he, you know, has a house and like he has his career here and he'll travel other places, but his career is in Dallas and he wants to build that in Dallas. And I don't know if that's something he talked to you about, but something that him and I have obviously talked a lot about since I get my haircuts done by him and also try to get him on sets. But for me, I have no interest in that. Not because it's not something that I want to see. I don't want to see happen. I would love for Dallas to be this like Mecca of something, but I'm just more interested in building my career around the people that I love to work with around the things that I'm trying to do. I'm interested in building that and Whatever comes from that on the adverse effect of that is amazing. I'm super happy about it, but um, I just don't want to put my time and attention into building something that like isn't mine. You know what I mean? It's like not, I have no interest in building Dallas. I hope Dallas builds. But if I do something that helps build Dallas, that's even more amazing. But I don't want to take that on for myself. It's just not something that interests me. So 
for me, it's staying in one place. I feel like I'm kind of a global citizen in a way. And I don't, I, the thought of staying in one place for a long time uh, makes me feel afraid. I fear that. I feel like restricted. I need to have that like full geographic freedom. Yeah. So. And then um, you got a house. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's more of an investment. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I, I can, I can run it out and I can, and three years down the road or five years down the road, maybe it'll increase 150 grand. So that's a little pocket. We also have a home base. Change. Yeah. I'm also down to have a home base. Yeah. And I think Dallas is a good place. I mean, I love the people here. Yeah. Agreed. And I think there's a lot of potential uh, for growth in the art scene that could come around in the next 10 to 15 years. And I think if, since we're so early on in the process and the art scene is a little bit smaller, it's really easy to come up here. Oh yeah. The saturation of market is. There's no saturation in the market really. I mean, there's some, maybe with DJs. There's a benefit to it. That's also credit a lot to the growth of my career is being able to like outshine in an area that doesn't have a lot to outshine. Exactly. Because it's like, you can be not the best. I mean, if you go to New York and you try to do what you did here, you're like down at the bottom, but you're, you do it here in Dallas and it's like, you may not even be like the best out there, but you're one of the best in Dallas and just having that freedom to fuck up and make mistakes and not be the greatest at it. But it's a great place to start becoming an artist. Yeah. And you're not like, it's just a good starter grounds for sure. And you're not in the middle of like somewhere that doesn't have almost any attention Mm -hmm. to it. Like, like I've been telling a lot of people too that Dallas is very much so becoming a Chicago where Chicago used to be, which mm-hmm. is like you would be very important to attach yourself to, you know, Los Angeles, to New York or to Chicago um, in the Midwest. And I think Dallas is becoming that central central station of artistry where a lot of people are paying attention to what's coming out of Texas in general. And I yeah, think out of is, Texas, yeah. Is a, a by factor of that for sure. But yeah, I think it's a great place to start your career. I actually had the choice to chance to move to New York uh, before I moved to Dallas and ended up because of an ex moving to Dallas anyway. But I'm very thankful for that that choice that I made because I think, you know, who knows what would have happened if I would have moved to New York and it could have been even greater for my career or even worse. But I mean, it would have been maybe not better or worse, but just different. Very different. But I'm happy that I did this. A different shade, you know? Yeah, but like I was able to learn the things that I've learned because of where I'm at now. Yeah, so. and you never know. But, you know, New York will always be there. And I think it's always open arms to newcomers. So, <laughs> I mean, your time will come. Yeah, I mean, I don't even have any interest in moving to New York anymore, really. Yeah. I, I wanted to. I want to be in Europe, I mean, honestly. Yeah, I want to I move back to Europe. New York um, is a little bit too chaotic for me. I love the chaos, but... Not for too long. I need a place to like kind of shut down. Shut down. Yeah. I know I love the chaos. I could, I would thrive in New York to be fair. But what I do like is the ability to breathe when I want to breathe, which is nice. And then also I just, yeah, I just miss Europe. It's different when like you grew up there and stuff. And that fact, which is like, I do miss being over there, even though I've definitely spent more of my time now in America than I have over Mm -hmm. in Europe. But the taste and the style are just there. You know, the, very, the very culture, much. the just people are just more classic and I don't know what it is about it, but yeah, it's definitely You heard different. it here first. Al hates <laughs> fucking Americans. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. I love America in its ways, but there's a lot of issues in America too. For sure. 
Absolutely. Which we won't get into because it's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on, Justin. It was a pleasure to get to know you. And I wish you all the best luck in your endeavors. And I can't wait to see your new exhibit. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was actually a really enjoyable time. And Good. That's what I want. I, I loved it. And I loved your perspective on things and hearing more from you. I don't know if... A lot of your podcasts end up being pretty one-sided to other people, but I really enjoyed hearing a lot of your aspects and the things that you talk about. So it was awesome. It kind of goes organically. It depends on the person too. Every podcast comes out different, but I think the more comfortable I get in interviewing people, I think that energy is captured by the interviewee and it makes them more comfortable and then it becomes a organic dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like. Super science. Super science. <laughs> All right. Bye.